The Guttmeyer Institute estimates that from 1973 through January of this year, 63,459,781 babies have been killed in the womb in the United States alone. 63.5 million. As I've reflected on where we are now as a nation, I am grateful that the Supreme Court has removed the restriction so that at least states now individually can make decisions for themselves. Certainly, uh, abortion is not illegal in the United States of America, even after the Supreme Court decision. It has been sent back to the states. And there'll be a battle. 26 states right now suggest that they, they will at least apply some restrictions Whereas in many of the states over the last uh, five decades, there have been no restrictions. Even I remember as pastor at May, the battle that was going on over what was then referred to colloquially as partial birth abortions that were taking place in our nation. I can't imagine anything more heinous than that. I've wondered over the last few years as we have... Uh, Many of you have joked with me and we've out outwardly talked about during the presidential election cycle, are these the two best <laughs> uh, candidates? Are these the best and the brightest of our nation that we're, we're voting on and having to choose between one or the other? I began to wonder, maybe there were others. Maybe there were others that never made it past the womb who would have been a great future leader, a great future president, a, a doctor who would, uh, who would bring a cure to cancer. And so even though there's a lot of prayer, because bottom line is laws cannot change the heart of men. Only the work of the Holy Spirit can. Now, I am grateful that immediately Friday after that Supreme Court decision, some states immediately canceled all abortions. Because I believe that there may very well have been children that would have lost their lives Friday or Saturday or today that will live and could make a difference. They could be future pastors, future leaders, future presidents, future researchers. We'll never know about the 64 million or so that were lost. And not all going forward will be saved, but some will. And that's reason to give thanks. I want to just pause before we get into Philemon and just recognize uh, God's hand and, and give thanks. So let's pray together. Father, as we as a nation come to this point where even today there are riots in some places, protests on the streets, over decision made by the Supreme Court. That seems to be a regular occurrence now. We, we stomp our feet and protest and, Lord, we, we want to pause just simply to give thanks. Lord, we have confessed the sin of our nation time and again. The fact that more often than not, the vast majority of children that were killed in the womb were not 
because of any extenuating circumstance, most lost their lives for the sake of convenience. They were deemed inconvenient. The pregnancy was deemed inconvenient. The child was deemed inconvenient. Father, I pray that as this ruling that had made it the law of the entire United States, as it has been reversed, that more children will be saved, more mothers will be supported and encouraged and loved on. Lord, I ask that you help us to continue as a church to support those who are in in need. I thank you, Lord, for parents in, in this congregation who have fostered children, who have, who have adopted children and have raised those children as their own. Lord, I pray that, that Christian parents would continue to step in where help's needed. But Lord, we pause today, this weekend, just to give thanks and to ask that, that you would continue to help us to be the the face of, of Jesus, to be Christ to those who are hurting and those who are in need. Father, I pray for those mothers right now who are struggling, who a couple days ago had a plan and that plan's been removed. I pray, Lord, that someone would step into their lives and encourage them, come alongside them in a difficult pregnancy to help them, to love them. Lord, I pray for the health of those babies. Lord, I ask that your hand would be on us, that you'd use us for your glory. Lord, I pray for those, those corporations that are planning all kinds of extreme circumstances to help continue to provide abortions by moving employees from state to state or whatever, that, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that, that your spirit would be at work in the hearts of your people, that we might see more and more and more children saved because of this decision. Now, Father, as we turn to your word and we look at the final message from Philemon, I ask that you help us as we consider Onesimus, not just to see him as a historical figure or to look around and see the Onesimus in others around us, but help us to look into our own hearts. Help us to see where we are, Lord, that we might respond to your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to, as I said, let's jump into Philemon. Uh, we are in the third of a three-part series. I've preached the entire book of Philemon, two weeks already. Uh, the first week, if you'll remember the story of Philemon, and if you weren't here, let me give you a quick synopsis. Uh, Philemon is, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul back to a friend of his named Philemon. And it has to do with a young man named Onesimus who was a slave of Philemon. Uh, we don't know exactly what level of that household servant or slave that Onesimus was in, but he fled and escaped and somehow got connected with Paul in Rome. And Paul in a Roman prison led Onesimus to Christ. And now 
Onesimus, this runaway slave, has become a Christian and he has become a, a, an incredible servant and, and loving Paul and, and encouraging Paul and helping Paul. But to make things right, Onesimus has to go back to the one that he wronged. He has to go back and make things right with Philemon. And so Paul, on behalf of Onesimus, writes back to his friend Philemon. Now, apparently, when, as Paul writes this letter, he also wrote two other letters, uh, Colossians and Ephesians. And these three letters are being hand-delivered back to those churches, to the churches of Ephesus, the churches of, of Colossae, and to Philemon, who is a member of one of those churches. And so you have Onesimus as one of those couriers. He's one of them that's going to be carrying the letters back. And so you, you learn this not just from the book of Philemon, but also from the ending of the book of Colossians when Paul talks about that. And so Paul, as he writes back, uh, he encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus and to receive him as a brother in Christ. Well, that's what we're going to get into. The first week, we looked at Paul's role in bringing restoration between those two. Because the bottom line is there's three main characters in this story. There's Paul, who was used by God to bridge the gap between Onesimus and Philemon. There's that We talked about that the first week. What's it mean to be a Paul in that story? What's it mean to be one whom God uses to help restore others? to help restore relationships. The second week, we looked at Philemon's role. What if you're the one that was offended? What if somebody did you wrong? What's God's expectation of you when somebody has treated you wrong? How should you handle it? How should you treat them? How should you receive them? And so that's what we looked at last week. That's Philemon's place in this story. Today, we're going to look at Onesimus's place in the story. Onesimus was the offender. He's the one who sinned. He's the one who wronged Philemon. Now, I, I know that many of you are sitting there, well, I might identify with one of the first two, but I've never done anything wrong. You've never offended anybody, have you? You've never sinned against anyone. Well, certainly we know better than that. Every single one of us can identify with Onesimus. I hope that many of us in this congregation could identify with Paul, that God has used us to bring restoration to others in the past. I, I assume that every one of you feels like you've been offended or you've been wronged at some point in your life, and so we all kind of can identify with Philemon. But I also believe that Scripture's pretty clear. Every single one of us has been the offender. Every single one of us has sinned against someone else. Certainly, we know that we've sinned against God. His word makes that abundantly clear. And in fact, that's where we're going to start here in a little bit. But I believe that every single one of us has wronged other people in one way or another that we need to make right. And so I, I, I implore you, as we hear what Onesimus was asked to do, what steps he took, ask yourself, is there somebody that I've wronged? Is there someone that I need to make things right with? Now, each week I've read the entire letter of Philemon. I'm not going to do that today because the, the, the first part, the, the introduction, and then the, uh, the second paragraph were directed toward Philemon. Paul doesn't bring up Onesimus until the third paragraph. 
In the third paragraph, he, after he has uh, done his introduction and he has encouraged Philemon, talking about his relationship with Philemon, then he moves the conversation to the reason for the letter. Verse 8 of Philemon, chapter. I was going to say Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, so verse 8 of Philemon. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and to the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope to, that through your prayers I'll be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in, G in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit." So as we back up from this text, I want to look at what about Onesimus? What is it that, that, that brought him into this story? What is it that makes uh, him so important to the Apostle Paul? The first thing that I want you to see is that for Onesimus to ever be made right with Philemon, he had to begin by getting right with the Lord. That's where the story begins. And we don't know how Onesimus ended up in Rome, uh, meeting up with Paul, a prisoner there in Rome. We don't know if, if Onesimus had some previous connection because Paul had, had been a missionary and had, Paul had led Philemon to the Lord. Paul makes that clear. So Onesimus remembers Paul. Maybe he has some questions and he goes to Paul. We, we don't know. Maybe Philemon sent him there and there's some conjecture that Onesimus didn't really run away, but Philemon sent Onesimus to deliver something to Paul and he just stayed. <laughs> he refused to go back because he didn't want to go back and be a slave anymore. We really don't know all of the circumstances here, but what we do know is that Onesimus had, had wronged Philemon. But before he ever got around to making things right with Philemon, he had to make things right with the Lord. This last week, some of you studied uh, the story of, of David 
and Nathan in particular, which is based upon the, the, the sin of, of David uh, against Uriah and against Bathsheba. So that was today's growth group lesson where, where Nathan, the prophet, and David's friend confronted him with his sin. Certainly, David sinned against Uriah. And David sinned against and with Bathsheba. But I want you to hear David's words. When he, after he was confronted by Nathan, we have a, a famous psalm, Psalm 51, where David pours out his heart. Listen to these words. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love and according to your abundant compa compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. He goes on to say, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and teach me with wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sin and blot out my guilt. One of the things that David fully understood was regardless of who else was involved, he had sinned against God. David knew that he was a sinner who had sinned against God. We will never be able to be fully right with God or with other men. We'll never be able to be fully right with anyone in our lives unless first we recognize our sin, that we are sinners. It's our rebellion, it's our failure you know what most of us would have, would have tried to do initially? Now, Nathan handled this pretty well, the way he approached David with a story. But I'm afraid far too many of us would want to say, you know what, it wasn't my fault, it was that woman. She shouldn't have been bathing out there anyway. Yeah, even though she's up on the rooftop where, where most people couldn't see her, only me because I was up on a higher rooftop looking down on her, it's still her fault, right? We want to rationalize, we want to blame others. We want to point out their sin, but if we're ever going to get right with God, we have to begin by looking right here at our sin. I often use this when I do marriage counseling. It's this simple illustration. I don't know that I've ever found anybody in a marriage who was 100% perfect. Any perfect husbands out there? Tommy, you're not going to raise your hand on that one? He knows better, right? Nobody. Now, I've, I've seen circumstances where in a particular argument, in a particular issue, somebody was more wrong than right. But I've never seen a marriage where somebody was 100% right and the other person was 0% right. So here's the bottom line. When I counsel folks in marriage, you may be the one who you would say, well, this is only 10% my fault. It's 90% her fault. Well, you know what? You can't ask forgiveness for her 90%. You got to deal with your 10%. Your 
sin has to be before your eyes. You have to confess your sin. And, and Onesimus, before he, was, he ever was asked to go back to Philemon, he was asked to come before God and to confess his sin. And Paul says, he became my son. He goes on to say, I became his father, Onesimus, he's my son, I became his father while I was in chains. Paul became Onesimus' spiritual father because he led Onesimus to faith in Christ. And he fleshes some of that out a little bit more when you go further through this letter. But what we see in here is Onesimus was transformed from the inside out by the power of God when he confessed his sin before God and God cleansed him and made him whole. Onesimus had to be made right with God and had to deal with God before he had ever go back to Philemon. And then, then, and only then, after he had made things right, a part of his repentance, after he made things right with God, was to make things right with Philemon. So Onesimus, the, the first big point that I had here for you was Onesimus surrendered his sin to Christ, okay? He surrendered to Christ. First, he was made right with God. Second, he had to go back to the one whom he offended and make things right with Philemon, and we don't like to do that. It's one thing for us to come quietly before God and confess our sin. It's another thing to go to our wife and confess our sin or to go to our friends that we've wronged and confess our sin. But Jesus made it pretty clear. In the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift on the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come off your gift. Jesus makes it very clear. If you know that you have wronged a brother or sister, especially a brother or sister in Christ, you have a responsibility, it is your obligation to make it right. Paul fleshes this out in this, in this letter because Paul even goes on to say, man, after Onesimus was saved, after he, he came to Christ, he has been an incredible blessing to me. In fact, Philemon, I, I, this is my version of, a, of an expanded version. Philemon, I know that you love me. You, you have done, you, you've shown me your love. And, and I know that you would really want Onesimus here serving me on your behalf. I believe that to be true, Philemon, because of your love for me. That would be awesome. And I really want Onesimus to stay here with me. But before that can be done, he has to go back and make things right with you. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier if Paul could have simply FaceTimed Philemon. He and Onesimus get on their iPad and they FaceTime across the Aegean Sea, and Paul in Rome in the prison, if the prisoners would give him the Wi-Fi access, and he, he, he FaceTime back to Philemon, and Philemon looks at Onesimus, and Onesimus looks at Philemon, and Onesimus says, Philemon, I'm so sorry. I know I've wronged you. If you want me to come back, I'll come back. Philemon looks at him and says, Onesimus, I forgive you. 
And I thank you that I'm, I'm excited that you're serving on my behalf, the beloved apostle who led me to the Lord. Why don't you just stay there and serve him? That would have been a whole lot easier, but they couldn't do that. So Onesimus had to take the letter in his own hands from Paul and go back to Philemon, not knowing for certain how he would be greeted by Philemon. It was incumbent upon him before he could continue to walk in the right relationship with the Lord to make things right with the one whom he defended. The truth is, every single one of us will stumble, will fall, we, we will... We will struggle in our relationship with the Lord if we know in the back of our head that we have a brother or sister that we've offended and we haven't made it right. God expects us to do what we can to make that right before we move forward with him. Onesimus was already being uh, serving Christ. He was already serving Paul but for him to move forward in his relationship with the Lord, he had to get this settled. When we surrender our lives to Christ, it requires not only that we submit to our hearts and our sin to him for his forgiveness, but sometimes it requires that we go back to a brother or sister. Second, Onesimus has, has been and was being transformed by Christ. So what, what's going on with Onesimus here? First and foremost, he'd been forgiven of God, and now he's got to go back and he's got to make things right with Philemon. But the, uh, what we see here is that God was already at work in Onesimus's life. Paul says that you, he wants, when he's writing to Philemon, he says, Onesimus was useless to God. You know, the, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to see this because there's, there's people that do good things in their own strength, that aren't Christians, that, that in fact, I think sometimes we look at some Christians or some that claim to be Christians and some that aren't Christians and say, man, there's some actually better people out there doing good things that, that don't claim the name of Christ. But the bottom line is to further the kingdom of God, scripture says we're useless to him until we're born again, until we're his. And so Philemon, Onesimus had become useful to God, Paul says. We talked about this a little bit more last week when, when Paul was encouraging Philemon to receive him. Not only has he become use, was he useless to God and he is now useful to the kingdom of God, that has changed him so that he's the kind of person that you want him to be. So Paul, as he writes to Philemon, is encouraging him, saying, look, God has done a work in this man. He is being transformed by Christ. When we are willing to confess our sin and we're willing to, to fully lay our sin down before God and we're willing to come and make things right with those whom we've offended, then God can use us in incredible ways. One of my favorite pictures of this, because it's so real and it's so personal to me, is, is hearing and watching uh, Greg Ballog. And watching what God did in his life. And I remember sitting in, in what Tim, when Tim was in this little office in here that now is the choir room, sitting in there with, with Greg and Tim and, and Dennis Shred, and, and, and Greg was, was laying out some of his sin. And he's saying, I just know that for me to ever have the right start, I have to, I have to confess all my sin. 
have to get it all out there. Then I can have a new beginning. Then the real transformation can begin. Then I can become the man that God wants me to be and the husband God wants me to be. When I confess all of that, there are some people may give up on me. That's kind of what he was worried about. And they might. But if, if you don't confess your sin and make things right, you're never going to be fully useful for the kingdom of God. And so Philemon had done that, and now he's in the process of being transformed by Christ. He once was useless to God, and now he is useful to the kingdom of God. And as he is being transformed, and this is where I, maybe I'll park here for just a little bit. There's something going on in Philemon in his heart that has connected him to Paul in an incredible way. Look at verses 10 through 12. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he's useless to both, or useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. Paul, what do you mean by that? In a very real way, Onesimus' heart had been knit together with the Apostle Paul's heart. I am sending back to you my very heart. Well, why is that? How can Onesimus be, be connected in that, that such an intimate way with the heart of the Apostle Paul? I, I think you can find a hint in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul says, follow me because I follow Christ. Imitate me because I imitate Christ. Onesimus, as he had been discipled by the apostle Paul, had become connected to the heart of God. Onesimus, it wasn't just his outward life that had been changed. He'd been changed from the very innermost part of his being. Over the last couple of weeks with some of the struggles that I faced, one of the, the questions that was, that was uh, brought to my attention or one of the impressions that was brought to my attention was when you stand, when I stood and, and, and made a, a, a statement the last couple of weeks on our views and representing this church, but even more so representing myself, my view on, on what's happening uh, down the street and, and what's happening in our community, what happened at the, at the city council meeting, the question is, does, does that image, does, does your life, do your words, does your heart show the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's the key because, see, if our heart is knit together with the heart of God, the Holy Spirit will produce in and through us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. If our heart is, is, is tied together, like Jesus said in John 15, as he was walking with the disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he saw, passed the vineyard and he, he gave them the, the parable of the, the vineyard. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If our heart is entwined with the heart of God, what naturally will come out of our lives, we won't have to force it, is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. 
That's the measure. Paul, I believe here, is saying, I'm sending back my very heart. I've been tied together, been united together in Christ with Onesimus. Onesimus truly had not just changed his behavior so that he was no longer useless to God, but he was useful for the kingdom. Onesimus' heart had been transformed and was still being transformed. So I don't believe that, that immediately when you become a, a Christian that you immediately are patient. But I believe that the Holy Spirit begins a work in you to transform your heart so that the longer that you walk connected with Christ, the more that patience will come out, right? I, I've heard people say, well, I'm just not a very patient person. And I, I, some, depending on how well I know them, okay, I may just look at them and say, well, you're not connected to the Holy Spirit then, right? Because if you are connected to the Spirit of the living God, he will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. That was what was taking place in Onesimus' life. So he wasn't just, it wasn't just about his sin against Philemon. His, he was being transformed by the power of God. And then lastly, I want you to see that just as Onesimus had been saved and he'd been made right when he surrendered his life to Christ and he went back to, to, to be made right with his brother in Christ, Philemon, just as God had had. had, had brought him to a place of righteousness in Christ. And just as God was at work to, in him to transform him, there was an expectation now that Onesimus would be welcomed home. That when he went back to Philemon, not because Onesimus was a good person, Onesimus had sinned against Philemon, but because he'd been made right with God, because he was seeking to be made right, because God was doing a transforming work in his life, Onesimus, Paul's expectation was that Onesimus would be welcomed home. I love the fact there's, there's a parable that's going on here, and I pointed it out a little bit when I talked about uh, Paul's perspective. Because when you get down to that, that fourth paragraph, the apostle Paul says, if you consider me your partner, okay. Philemon, if you love me, if you consider me a partner in ministry. Now, remember, I'm the one who led you to the Lord. I love that Paul kind of throws that in there. If you consider me your partner. And Onesimus has wronged you and owes you anything, charge it to my account. Paul is, it, it, there's a parable here that, that Paul in a very real way represents Christ. Onesimus couldn't pay for his sin. He couldn't afford it. He was a slave. Paul didn't owe Philemon anything. And yet, Paul says, I'll pay it. What an incredible picture of Christ. Paul was representing Christ to Philemon and Onesimus. Paul says, I will pay a debt that Onesimus can't pay that I don't even owe. That's the picture of Christ. Christ paid a debt that he did not owe that we could not pay so that we could be welcomed home. We, just as Onesimus had a representative 
It's almost as though Paul was, was the one who stood in the gap. Paul became the representative for Onesimus before Philemon. Just as Christ is our representative before the throne of God. So that the Father, when he looks on us, does not see our sin, but he sees the blood of Christ that covers us. Jesus, our advocate, stands in the gap for us. What an incredible picture. We are represented by Christ, who is our advocate before the throne of God. Our debt has been paid by Christ. And because our debt has been paid by Christ, we can be confident that not only will we be welcomed home, but as Paul shows his expectation here, we'll be given abundant blessings far beyond anything that we ever earn or deserve. Paul tells Philemon, I'm confident. I'm confident in you, Philemon, that, that when you receive Onesimus back, you're going to do even more than I've asked. So I want you to see the, the connection. I want you to see the parable because Christ paid the debt for our sin. He didn't owe anything. He was sinless. He paid the debt that we could not pay so that we could be welcomed home in Christ. And when we come and step out of this life and we take our last breath on this earth and our first breath in heaven, whether it's because uh, we, have, uh, we have passed away, whether it's because we've, we've died of natural cause or whether it's because Christ has returned, ascending or descending from on high, if we live that long, regardless, when we take our first breath in the presence of God, we will be blessed beyond our imagination. Not because we deserve it, because we don't. Not because we've paid the penalty for our sin, because we can't, but because he did. In a very real way, though I believe that, that all of us in, may connect with Paul in some way in, in being used of God to, to restore relationships, and all of us have been offended by others and had to deal with that and had to receive them back, even more so, there's no question. Scripture says this is true. Every one of us has been the offender. Every one of us has sinned against a holy God. Every one of us owes a debt that we cannot pay. Our sin has separated us from God. We're slaves to our flesh we're slaves to this world, and our only hope is the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is no one of us that is holy outside of Christ. That one fact ought to make us humble. As we rejoice and think through the Supreme Court decision, the stuff in the news, we ought to remain humble. When we, when we deal with the stuff that we're dealing with in our city, it ought to keep us humble. Because none of us have any hope outside of Christ Jesus. He is our hope. 
He is our life. He is the one who not only has, is interceding before the Father, he's the one who shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that we could be set free from our own slavery. Christ is really the hero of this story. Not Paul, not Philemon, not Onesimus. We can identify with all of those characters in this story one way or another, but the hero of this story is the one who redeemed Paul on the road to Damascus, who used Paul to redeem, to, to, to bring the message to Philemon, and, and Christ redeemed Philemon, and who took a slave who had run away from home and turned him from a detriment to the kingdom of God to an asset in the kingdom of God. Christ is the hero of this story. And Christ is the one who has to be the hero in our lives and in our church. There's not a pastor, there's not a missionary that can save you. Only Christ can save you. We, we may celebrate the, 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 the decision of a conservative Supreme Court but they're not the heroes. Christ will always be our hero because he is the only one who can redeem us from our sin and deliver us from our slavery. Jesus is our hope. He's the one we have to celebrate. He's the one we have to keep pointing to. Not our theology, not our doctrines, not our, our name, Jesus. He's the hero of this story and he ought to be the hero of our lives. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.